You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. So we are in week four of this series called Road to Redemption. And what we're doing in this series is we're preparing our heart to remember the sacrifice of Jesus as we head into the most sacred time of the year for Christians. You know, we need a season where we intentionally slow down, where we reflect on how we're living our lives. And, you know, we want to take some time during this season to look within and we want to take some time to give, our, give, we want to give some time to reflection on the state of our souls. So let's look at where we've been in this series so far. Uh, the first week, what we did was we looked at how our identity in Christ uh, enables us to face the lies of the devil. The second week, we talked about repentance. And then the third week, we talked about temptation and we gave you some biblical wisdom to help you to overcome it. So that's where we've been. Today, I want to talk to you about regrets. I want to talk to you about regrets. And as we come into this season of Lent that we're in now, we're taking time, this time to look within. And, you know, often one of the things that we experience is regret. Maybe it's for something that happened in the past. Maybe it's for something that we're dealing with right now. Maybe it's for something that we go back to over and over again. But I've got good news for you today. Regrets aren't where we have to stay, church. We don't have to stay there. We don't have to feel or see them as the finish line because they're a starting line for a whole new life. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, I I think that all of us have regrets, right? We have uh, some big regrets. We have some small regrets. But we all have regrets. For me, I have my own regrets. I have my own regrets. I I regret not playing the clarinet as a kid. I remember going to the store. My mom was saying, hey, you know, maybe we should pick some out. But I decided not to play the clarinet and just stick with playing the piano. I regret that. I regret crashing my first car in high school. I was, uh, the cars in front of me were coming to a stop at a stoplight, and I plowed right into the car in front of me. I loved that car. (laughs) I regret doing that. I regret taking organic chemistry for eight weeks during the summer in college. I thought, hey, why don't I just like focus on that, try to get a good grade in that. Listen, it was eight weeks, 16 hours a day between classes, labs, and studying. I'll tell you what, that was not the best summer that I've ever had taking organic chemistry. I regretted that. And I also regretted getting stuck in Belarus. I thought it would be fun to travel from Moscow to Paris by train. And when I got to Belarus, they pulled me off the train. I didn't know what I was going to do. Belarus is not a country that you want to get stuck in, let me tell you. I regretted that. Now, there's a healthcare worker named uh, Bronnie Ware who spent time with hundreds of people during the last three to 12 weeks of their lives, uh, talking to them about their top regrets in life. She wrote a book, actually, called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And so these are the top five regrets that she found. 
Uh, these people said that I wish that I had been true to myself, not the life that others expected of me. It's the idea that you're going to have critics, you're going to have haters, you're going to have people in your life that are going to think you should live your life differently, that are going to make comments. But ultimately, people regretted living for others rather than living for their dreams, for living the life that they wanted to live based on who they were created to be. The second regret was they said, I wish I hadn't worked so much. It wasn't this idea that work is bad. It was this idea that they had a sense of regret when money was the primary factor for them in life and in their decisions that they didn't feel like they spent or prioritized enough time with family and loved ones. The third regret, they said, was I wish that I had the courage to express my feelings. They wished that they had said some things to people, expressed their love, their appreciation, worked at reconciling, and so they left some of these things undone. The fourth regret, they said, was I wish that I had stayed in touch with my friends. Some of these people hardly stayed in touch with friends at all over their life, and they regretted that some didn't have any friends at all when they died. And then the fifth regret they said is, I wish that I let myself be happier. So these are the top five regrets of these people, these hundreds of, uh, that came out of spending time with these hundreds of people. And, you know, these people were at the end of their lives. And I think for, for us, whether we're at the end of our life, whether we have our whole lives in front of us, or whether we're somewhere in between, we all have regrets, don't we? And I, I really believe that we can uh, really boil them down to three types of regrets. There's the regrets of action, there's the regrets of inaction, and then there's the regrets of reaction. So let's talk about them today, okay? Let's start talking about the regrets of action. These are things that consist of all those things that make us want to kick ourselves and say, I wish that I had never fill in the blank, right? Okay, so what I'm talking about are things like lies we've told, relationships we've torpedoed, dumb choices we've made, a rage that we've unleashed on people, a money that we've blown, addictions that we have fed. So it's the things you do, like the things that you've said where in that moment you wish that you could have put those words right back in your mouth because the moment you said them, you knew that you were going to regret those words. I had a, a situation, a moment like that this past week with my wife, Virginia, she had gotten some new clothes, and she had come out of the room where she had changed into these new clothes. And as soon as she came out of the room, when I saw it, guess what I said? I said, nope. <laughs> hey, you know, as one of your pastors, I mess up too. <laughs> and I wanted to take that word and put it right back in my mouth. I hurt her feelings. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, it, you know, we got restored and everything, and it was okay later that day, but... I really wanted to take that word and put it back in my mouth. So um, there are regrets of action. There are regrets of inaction. The, the common book of prayer says, Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against thee in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. What we have done, that's regret of, in, uh, that's regret of action. What we have left undone, that's regret of inaction. So regrettable inactions could be things like, <clears throat> opportunities we've missed, time we've wasted, risks that we didn't take, love that we left unexpressed, words not spoken, forgiveness we withheld. You know, researchers say that in the short term, people regret their regrets of action, so they, they tend to regret actions, but in the long term, they regret inaction more. So the nagging question is, what might have been if? 
That's what the regret of inaction sounds like. What might have been if? So there are regrets of action, there are regrets of inaction, and then there are those regrets that start with something hurtful that was done to us. These are called regrets of reaction. Regrets like the accident I was in, the illness that I got, the abuse that I took, the neglect, how neglected I was, the rejection that I felt, the betrayal that I experienced. And when you experience regrets like this, there is this sense that this never should have happened to me, right? Uh, when bad things happen to us, quite naturally, we regret them. Even though these things we can't control, sometimes these regrets of reaction are ones, the ones that hurt us the most. I want us to listen to Jacqueline's story now as she shares about the regrets that she has. Let's take a look at the video. I was two, we moved to Chicago after my parents had separated. My mom was pretty much the entryway to all our family from Guatemala to migrate to, to the United States. So we never had a home where it was just a mom and dad and the kids. It was cousins, aunts, uncles, um, and so on, and neighbors from back home. Because of that, there was a access uh, to a lot of abuse uh, for a child and, and physically or emotionally and sexually. I kind of found myself in, in a sexual abuse situation from about four to about 12. At the age of 12, I told my mom, you know, what had happened. I don't believe that she didn't believe me. I don't, I believe that she didn't want to believe me. And so not growing up with my father, I think that's what what made me gravitate to certain people that were not good for me and that just set me up to have a failed relationship after a failed relationship after another failed relationship because I was always searching for that fatherly love. For me, it wasn't like, why, why did you leave my mother? It was, why didn't you protect me you know, when I was a child? The reason that all kind of came to light is because I had started a relationship with a man and that's where it all came back and I had to tell this man and I was 12 that that he wasn't the first one to touch me in, in the way that that was happening and so this man um, was eight years older than me um, and at the time I decided to start a relationship with this man that was eight years older than me, um, who became the father of my child. I was 16 when I got pregnant. I was 17 when I had him. Three months later, he was, after he was born, I left this man when I turned 18. Still dealing with the anger and still dealing with the self-destruction because I was still doing things that I shouldn't have been doing. But I was still very present in parenting. Go to work. Uh, come home, be the single mom, put him to bed, and then go out at night. And then come back home before Devon woke up. And so that was kind of like my routine from like Thursday to Sunday. Growing up as a child, we knew about God and we heard about God. I kind of knew, you know, you have the, the, the notion that there is a higher being, 
but there is no relationship, there's no example or anyone really teaching that to me. Boy, Jacqueline had some regrets, didn't she? Um, uh, one of the things that you probably heard uh, in, in her testimony was that she was kind of in this cycle of regret, and I want to call it the sorry cycle. And it's this idea that we feel sorry about what we did, we feel sorry about what happened, and then we feel sorry uh, about ourselves. Okay, that's, that's what we call the, the sorry cycle. And, you know, we can deal with regret a lot of times like this, where we hold on to our regrets, where we stay stuck in the feelings that they bring. And when we stay stuck, we see regret as more of a finish line than a starting line, you know? We might get into another unhealthy relationship. We might, because of these feelings, move into destructive habits, or we might, um, you know, part of it might lead to uh, making foolish decisions. Psychologists use a term for staying stuck in our feelings of regret. It's called rumination. It's this idea that in our minds, we can put the playlist of regrets on repeat and just play them over and over and over again in our mind. Melanie Greenberg, a clinical psychologist, said, regret can have damaging effects on mind and body, when regret turns into rumination and self-blame, it keeps us from fully engaging in life. I, I want to share a personal story uh, of regret with you. I, I used to live in Montreal with my family. Um, we, um, and when we were there, one of the things that I did this one year was I actually took my kids, my four kids, they were younger at the time, uh, I took my four kids to the St. Patrick's Day Parade in downtown Montreal. And you can imagine, you know, a bigger city, you're going to have bigger crowds, you're going to a lot of noise, a lot of music, and this type of thing. And, um, and so we, at one point, were like, hey, let's pop into this restaurant and grab a bite to eat. And so I had all four of my kids next to me. My youngest was kind of on the end, uh, Camille. She was about five years old. And I looked at them to make sure, like, they're all with me. And then the menu boards, some restaurants, you know, they have the menu boards behind the counter. And I looked up at the menu boards to decide, okay, what are we going to get for our lunch today? And um, I kid you not, it was no longer than 30 seconds that I looked at the, those menu boards and I turned back to my kids and Camille has disappeared. Disappeared, like she's not there. I talked to my kids, I'm like, where did she go? They don't know where she went. I started to panic, I went upstairs, there's a little seating area, looked up there, she's not there. I came back down, I talked to the staff, have you seen my daughter, Camille? I was describing her, you know, it's, it's real tiny, five years old, blonde hair. Uh, and, and then I ran outside, because I was thinking maybe she went outside, and as I went outside, I turned, I, outside the front door, I turned, and there she is, shaking in fear, next to the front door. Thankfully, some uh, older woman had come and just stayed with her until I got there. But I can tell you the panic that I felt and the regret that I felt because of what happened that day. And we, you know, we came back inside, we calmed down, we had a nice time uh, at, that, at that restaurant afterwards. But I, after that, I would play that in my mind over and over and over again. And you better believe that those feelings of regret were there at the same time that I, that I would play that again and again in my mind. But here's, you know, one of the things I, I wanna um, let you know about this morning is that th there's good news for you um, when it comes to regrets. And here, here is the good news, is that God doesn't want us to stay stuck in our regrets. He doesn't want us to see regrets as the finish line. He wants us to see it as the starting line for a whole new life. 
And so today we're going to look at a story of a man in the Bible who learned more about seeing beyond his regret as the finish line to seeing it as a starting line for a whole new life. The man that we're going to talk about is the Apostle Peter. Pastor Jeremy last week talked a little bit about Peter with you. And, you know, he's one of Jesus' closest disciples. He's part of Jesus' inner circle. He was one of the three that Jesus spent the most time with. And uh, so we're going to look at two scenes from the life of Peter, but I want to set, uh, a little, uh, set the context a little bit, give you some background before we get into these two scenes. The, the, scene, uh, the scene is in the evening, okay? So a little bit earlier, before we get into these uh, scenes with Peter, Jesus is sitting around with the disciples and is basically saying, you're all going to deny me, okay? <laughs> Nobody believed him, especially Peter, and then, so then we get into scene number one. Jesus is arrested that evening after he had met with the disciples. So Peter, just to you know, uh, see what's going on, he follows along. He follows at a distance to not get too close. And, um, and so they take Jesus to the high priest's home. And once they arrive at the high priest's home, Peter hangs out in the courtyard by the house, uh, just waiting around. And as he's waiting around there, warming himself by the fire, there's a household servant girl that sees him, and she says to Peter, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And then over a period of about an hour, there's a second and a third person that see him, and they recognize him, and, and they say, you must be one of them. Now, Peter, what he does, and, you know, based on what Peter had said uh, previously uh, that we see in the, in the text, and we're going to talk about it in a minute, uh, Peter actually goes ahead and he denies Jesus. He says, I don't even know him. He goes so far as to say, I don't even know what you're talking about. Then just as Jesus predicted, when he had been sitting with the disciples earlier that evening, Peter denies Jesus the third time, and the rooster at that moment crows. And what's interesting about Peter is that he's not suffering here in this courtyard. He's not even facing the potential for suffering, really. It's all, it's all hypothetical at this point. You know, I mean, how could a young household servant girl uh, threaten him, threaten to throw him in jail, right? <laughs> there's no threat to him at all right now. There's, there's no assurance that anything will happen to him. There's just this hypothetical possibility. And so, you know, we might think to ourselves, how could Peter do that? How could Peter deny Jesus? You know, just a few moments ago, earlier that day, he told Jesus, when Jesus said, you're all going to deny me, Jesus, I will go to prison for you. I'll even die for you. And, you know, we judge Peter. We, we think, oh, you know, I would never do that. But, you know, how many of us denied Jesus in some way last week? How many of us missed an opportunity to maybe share our faith? How many of us maybe missed an opportunity to invite that person to the church for the first time because we feared what they might end up thinking about us? Now, you know, Peter made a vow here. Uh, he made a vow. He promised uh, he, he, he made a promise to Jesus uh, before Jesus was arrested, right? He made this vow that he would go to prison for him, that he would uh, even die for him. Um, and we can, say to, we can say about Peter, you know what? He's such a coward, right? How could he do that? How many of us have made vows similar to Peter? How, how many of us have as married couples stood at the altar and made a vow to our spouse, loving them like Christ loves the church, the promising, making a vow to be faithful to our partner. How's that promise going? How about baptism? We, we made a public vow to follow Jesus, to commit our lives to him and obey him. And, you know, we, we did that publicly, right? 
We did that publicly. To, we wanted to wor- we want, we're committing to worship him. We're committing to serve God by his grace. How is that going for you? As a church member, you made a vow, you made a promise that this is the church where I give, this is the church where I serve, this is the church where I want to make a difference. How is that going for you? Or maybe you made a promise to a friend that you'd call her or pray for her because she's going through such a hard season right now. But you're like, yeah, you know, I haven't been praying for her. I haven't been following up with her. I haven't been praying. I I actually forgot. We've all been there. So how do you feel about not keeping your promises when you don't keep your promises? Well, I'll tell you how Peter felt. Let's look at how Peter felt in Luke chapter 22, verse 61 to 62. It says, at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Have you had that type of day? You know, (laughs) Peter's a grown man. Grown men don't cry that much, do they? But it's a godly thing when we have this type of conviction to be broken by our sin. And I want you just to get a picture of what's going on for Peter here. Peter denied Jesus. He said, I don't know Jesus. And then there he finds himself in that moment looking Jesus in the eye. Can you believe that? Can you imagine that? Looking Jesus in the eye at the moment that you deny him? How would Peter must have felt? But how does Peter then respond to his regret? And I believe that what we see here in this passage, that Peter is weeping bitterly, is really a testimony to the fact that he was convicted. He repented in that moment when Jesus gazed at him after he denied who Jesus was. And I I believe that to live beyond regret, we have to move toward repentance. We have to get there. To move forward, to move forward to the whole new life that God has for you, it starts with repentance. Have you repented? Peter didn't wait a long time to repent, did he? You know, it doesn't say after five years, Peter wept. It was more like five seconds after he saw Jesus' face. It's not enough to stay stuck in our regrets. It's good to feel sorry. It's good to weep sometimes, but we need to move past our regrets toward repentance. And for some of you, your heart has grown cold. Your heart has grown cold. Maybe you are carrying around the scars of living with regret for years, and you haven't repented of what you've done. I want you to take time today, maybe even before the service is over, to repent of those sins, to start moving past your regret. Don't avoid Jesus' gaze anymore. Repent and move toward restoration. And, that's, and that's, that's really where we're headed. We're headed toward restoration, right? It's, we have the regret, we repent of whatever we did that was wrong, and then we get restored. We get restored to move forward. And for Peter, that was so important because when, when, you know, when God was restoring him, he was reaffirming to Peter his calling that upon this rock, I will build my church, right? And that restoration was the remedy for regret. I I, uh, remember a time when I lived in France. We had just arrived. It was 2003, February of 2003, and we had been connected with this church, and uh, the church had planned a a ski retreat. So uh, we went to the French Alps to wherever wherever that was that they had uh, planned this ski retreat, 
And uh, my family and I, we were uh, staying in the cabin with a, with a French family that was part of the church. And they had two teenage kids. Um, and I, the morning after, we arrived at night, and the morning after, we came together for breakfast at the table. We had our hot chocolate and our croissants. And the, uh, the mom was sitting, like, across the table, and her two kids were next to me. So, like, I was over here next to the daughter, and then her son was next to the daughter. And I... I didn't know French that well, but the daughter said something at that table that caused the mom to get so upset that she hauled off and slapped her daughter right in the face. And I'm right there. I'm like right there. <laughs> Welcome to France, right? I thought, what in the world? There was, you know, I didn't see any repentance on the part of the daughter. There was no restoration on the part of the mom. Like, that, it was just left there like hanging, and then we were expected to like continue to eat our croissants and <laughs> carry on with the meal. How do you go forward with something like that? So I don't know if like there was repentance and restoration after that, but if you think about that, you know, uh, from a parent's perspective, like, you know, with our kids, when they mess up, when they s talk back to us, when they do something wrong, when they do something that upsets us or, um, it, it, or, or they sin, you know, do we slap them? Do we, you know, do we, and just leave it at that, do we yell at them and just walk out of the room? Like, how are we helping restore our kids, you know, um, to lead them to understand what they did was wrong and um, help them to ask, say they're sorry, ask for forgiveness, and then sh uh, restoring them, right? Where are the hugs, right? Where is the reaffirmation of our love for them as their parents? That's what God does for us. So how do we live beyond regret? I, I believe that it's, to answer this question, we're going to look at, we're gonna, uh, look at um, another encounter that Peter has after the resurrection. And I think there's two keys in this passage to how to live beyond regret. So let's look at the passage together. It's John chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. And it says, after breakfast, Jesus asked P Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So the first key is to love. You notice the question that Jesus asks? He says, do you love me? And what I love about Jesus is he doesn't look at Peter and he doesn't say, you know, your real problem is that you're a coward. Though that was accurate. He doesn't look at Peter and say, you have a deep-seated fear of what people think about you. Although that was true. He doesn't look at Peter and say, you're a liar. Although that was true too. What he does is he gets to the root of it, and he looks at Peter, and as Peter looks at Jesus, he can see the love in Jesus' face as Jesus asks this question three times, do you love me? Why does Jesus ask him this question? Well, I believe it's two, two reasons that Jesus asked this question. First reason is that he wanted to show Peter that Peter broke his heart. When we sin against God, we break God's hearts. When we sin against God, we sin against a friend. When, when we sin against a God, we sin against a God who loves us, who wants to do life with us. Jesus also asked the question to let Peter know that his love is unconditional, that there's nothing that Peter could do that would ever separate him from his love. And when we realize this about God's love, we start moving forward past our regrets. So the first remedy to regret is Jesus' love, his unconditional affirming love. The second key to moving beyond regret is purpose, uh, is purpose. And we notice this by what Jesus says at the end of the passage. He says, feed my sheep. After the affirmation of love comes this charge, feed my sheep. 
Now, you may, may be down, you may have messed up, but you're not out. You haven't disqualified yourself. This is what Jesus is saying to Peter as he says, feed my sheep. You know, if you're not dead yet, you're not done yet, Peter. I still need you. And Jesus says to Peter, I want you to lead and care for my followers. Peter still has a purpose. He still has a purpose. And just like Peter, God, with Peter, God reaffirmed his love and his purpose for Jacqueline. Let's take a look at the rest of this video. During that time, um, I met a man who gave me a chance, and that was the beginning of a beer change, a lifestyle change. I started caring more about my job and my son and my well-being than the partying, the drugs, and the alcohol. My oldest sister, um, her name is Shenny, she goes to work one Wednesday evening and ha suffers a brain aneurysm rupture. And by Friday, she was declared brain dead. And so that was the biggest earthquake of my life. I had lost my best friend. My cheerleader. So that rocked me. And I didn't know how to deal with this but to suppress it, just to ignore it. Eight months later, I have a mental breakdown and I decide I'm done. And so I attempt suicide January. Two days later after I come out, my nephew Steve collapses um, at work. He needed a new kidney. And so when I learned about the living donor, I put my name on the list. He needed a second chance at life and I think I needed a second chance at life, a purpose. And so I think God uses this to give me my second chance. I call my mom and I said, Mom, I gotta go to church. And so I go to church that Friday and I ask for prayer. I was very scared, I was terrified. And so I asked God into my life and I told him, I asked Jesus, if you are real, if God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is all real, then give me this. Give me him healthy, me healthy, and then we're gonna walk out of this operation on Monday together. I told him, I will be yours. I will give my life to you. I will serve you. So you make me useful. And And we walked out on Monday. After the surgery and, and seeing that he did come through for me, I said, okay, well, this is serious. <laughs> so I started learning and I just dug myself into scripture. That started a journey of healing for me. Every day is an opportunity for me to start over. Um, every day I still mess up. Every day I can probably still go back to think about those things. It's not over, mm. but, but I have a choice to start over every day, every morning. Isn't God good? God is so good. You know, she didn't see regret as the finish line. She saw it as a starting line, and, and God brought her into that journey. She, he's bringing her into a whole new life. 
And, you know, regret isn't something that's meant to be where we stay. You know, regret is actually the motivation to do things better, right? To do things differently, to make things right. And because of Jesus' love and his purpose in our lives, because he is for us, when we aren't even for ourselves, we can look forward, we can move forward to a better future. Peter, you know, after this epic fall, he goes on to be one of the chief apostles of, and founders of the church, right? He goes on and he does miracles. He wrote part of the New Testament. He is the first person to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And he preaches a sermon where he has thousands of people make decisions to follow Jesus for the first time. And today, billions of people claim to be Christians, What Jesus did for Peter, he wants to do for you today. And I want to take a look at just one last thing that Jesus said to Peter. He says in John chapter 21, verse 19, follow me. He invites Peter on a journey to move forward, to follow him into a whole new life that is waiting for him, beyond regret. And that's the journey that God wants to take us on today. Do you believe that, church? The Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard once explained, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. Regret is the starting line. It's not a finish line. It's a starting line to a whole new life. What Jesus did for Peter, he wants to do for you. And if you're stuck in your regret of action, hear God saying to you today, I love you no matter what. Nothing will ever change how I feel about you. If you're stuck in the regret of inaction, hear God saying to you today, it's not over. I'm not done with you yet. And if you're stuck in the regret of reaction, hear God saying to you, you're not damaged goods. I have plans. I have purposes for you yet in this life. What could your life look like if you could live beyond regret? Well, I believe that we could have a lot healthier relationships. I believe that we would no longer be playing the playlist of regret on repeat. I believe that we'd stop saying to ourselves, what might have been if? And I want to do a little something different today with you as we end the message here. I'm going to ask you in a minute to just bow your heads and close your eyes and um, as we're in this seri- series of reflection and repentance, this season of reflection and repentance, as we're on this road to redemption, I want us to just pray and do some reflection. And, and I'd like us to, you know, make one of the areas that I'm about to share a point of reflection for you this week, okay? So whatever point resonates with you the most. So let's close our eyes, let's bow our heads together. And with every eye closed, with every head bowed, Listen to these points that I'm going to make, and in your heart, just let God know which one resonates most with you. Maybe this morning, your regret is relational. Maybe you wish that you had loved better or been loved better. Maybe your regret is health-related. Maybe you wish that you had taken better care of yourself or You're struggling with the why questions over what happened to you. Maybe you're stuck in financial regret. You wish that you had been smarter about money. You wish that you'd made different decisions. Maybe it's your regret uh, that's related to the purpose in your life. You wish you had taken a different path. You wish you that had given your life to a bigger cause. Or maybe your regret is spiritual. You've taken steps that have led you away from God. Maybe you wish you'd thought about God and spiritual things more. And if one of these things resonates with you this morning, with every eye closed, every head bowed, would you just slip your hand up? I want to know who I'm praying for this week. 
You just slip your hand up if one of these resonates. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Thank you. I see you. Let's, let's pray together. God, we come before you, and we don't want to live in our regrets anymore. And during this season where we reflect on our lives, we want to move beyond our regrets. We thank you that you don't want us to stay there either, that you have plans and purposes for us, that you have a whole new life waiting for us if we're willing to repent and we're willing to to move forward and be restored. And so, God, thanks for today, for what you've shown us about who you are, your unconditional love, the purpose that you have for us. And I pray that this week we would move into that whole new life that you have for us and experience that better future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.